I, I tell you to turn to three people because we're in a, a series starting today called The Power of Three. Say three. three. See, three is a powerful number. If you're a parent, you maybe have already figured this out. It took me a few years before somebody finally told me this, this secret to parenting. You can throw your seminar books away. You can throw away the blogs or the magazines. You don't need them anymore. What I'm about to tell you is all you need as a parent. So lean in. You ready for this? There's something about counting to three. You're, you don't even have to explain it to your kids. They just know. They know that if you count to three and they're misbehaving or they're not listening and you get there, it's not a good day. Like, you, they just know one, two. Now, some of you parents, you'll go, you'll, you'll do this. You'll, you'll be like, two and, two and a quarter, two and a half. Now, that's not even part of the rules, okay? So stop doing that. Just get to three. If you got to do what you got to do, just do it, okay? It's one, two, three. And three, again, it's just, it's a bad day, Casey, if, that, if you get to three. My, I, so I, I probably overuse that. My wife told me one day, she's like, Monty, I know that you like counting to three with the kids. It's, you know, I'm like, yeah, I love it. It's just the best thing in the world. She's like, but I, I, I heard you do it with Jake the other day, and you have to give him a chance to respond. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, I count to three. She's like, here's what, here's what I heard. I heard this. I heard, Jake, can you, can you unload the dishwasher? One, two. She's like, you gave him no chance to do anything. Like, he couldn't even, there wasn't even a second between. I'm like, Jody, it works so well. Why not just cut to the chase? If, if I rewrote these things, I would just tell, just do it right away. One, two, three. Uh, I did learn something, though, about uh, the power of counting to three that you guys need to know, and uh, just learn from your pastor's mistakes, okay? It, it, this power of three, when it comes to counting, I learned it's only really for your kids. And let me explain. Um, one time I was, uh, I was at home and I had to use the restroom. I won't go into detail, but you get that. So I go into the bathroom and uh, I'm sitting there and I look over and, and this strikes fear in anybody's heart. When you look over and the toilet paper roll is empty, it's just like, oh my gosh. And it's just, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Especially if you're home alone, it's like you're stranded. Um, so I, I wasn't home alone. I was like, I look over and I'm like, hello, is anybody home? And then Jody's like, what do you need, sweetie? I said, oh, thank God. I said, can you bring me some toilet paper? She said, yeah, yeah, yep, just a minute. I said, okay, and I waited five seconds. I said, Jody, said, can you bring me some toilet paper? And she's like, I will in a minute. And I said, one, two, and she said, are you seriously counting? Yes, I am. The toilet paper never showed up, by the way. It never came. That doesn't work, guys. Don't do that. Learn from my stupid mistakes. Do not do that. Thank God for Kleenexes. At least I had something. But anyway, so... But I do got to settle a debate since we're on the subject. Uh, I need to know, and we need to take a vote right now based on this picture. When you're replacing it, I mean, you tell me. Who says over the top? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. Who goes underneath? There's always a few. I'm underneath. Now, which of you are guilty of doing this? Okay. Who is the heathen that does this? You need Jesus. You need Jesus. Oh, thank God you're in church. My gosh. How horrible is that? Actually, I would have taken that that day. I don't care how you get it in there. Just get it in there. So the power of three, it's powerful. I'm, when I read God's word and I study it, God's been showing me things in threes. Like, for example, the God that we serve is a God that's three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. Noah, you might be familiar with Noah. He had three sons. They built an ark. The ark had three decks on it. Moses, when Moses was born, did you know that they hid him for three months? True story. 
They hid Moses for three months. Jonah, you know that story, Jonah and the fish. How many days? Three days, three nights. You know the deal. Jesus, what about when Jesus was born? The wise men brought him what? Three gifts. Jesus' ministry on earth, his public ministry lasted three years. Jesus' ministry, he had the inner three. Peter, James, and John, who he was closest to. Of those three, Peter, guess what he did? He denied Jesus three times, didn't he? And because he denied him three times, then what happened? Well, Jesus soon after that would go to a cross. And he would die on the cross. And guess what? By the way, guess how old Jesus was when he died? 33 years old. That's right. 33 years old. But guess what happened? Jesus, something, something crazy happened though. You need to understand something straight up right now. Something supernatural, something miraculous, something wonderful. Because Jesus didn't stay dead on the cross. No, guess what happened? Guess how many days it took? Three, that's right. Three days later, well, we're going to get to this in a little bit. You're kind of getting me a little excited right here, but you're going you're to hear it. Something happened three days later, and God has been showing me something about the power of three. And then he brought me to 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And this is a scripture that is really this whole series of three weeks is based on. It's, oh, by the way, by the way, you need to know this too. You got you to read the Bible. It's crazy. I bet you didn't know this, or maybe you did. When Jesus was 12 years old, his parents, Mary and Joseph, lost him for three days. I'm not kidding you. Read Luke 2. You'll see it. They lost three days, 12 years old. Mary and Joseph, they ain't win parent, they not winning parents of the year, are they? They're not doing it. Can you believe that? I bet after the third day, they finally showed up at the temple. That's where Jesus was. I bet Jesus is like, really, Mom? Three days? Are you serious? I mean, I lost our kids, Jody, and I, or I lost our kids for a day. And Jody was all mad at me. I'm like, Jody, come on. I, I look pretty good compared to Mary and Joseph. But three days, it's, it's nuts. Back to 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says three things. Say three. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. It's what the series is based on. Today we're looking at faith. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We'll get, we'll get to that on Easter Sunday. It's incredible. And I read that verse, and I think, you know what I think of right away? I think of weddings. It's a verse that's read at a lot of weddings. What's a wedding represent? New beginning. Something new. See, I believe with all my heart, lean into this, I believe with all my heart that God has brought you here today because he has something new for you. Because God has a new beginning for you in an area of your life. That is why you're here. You, you maybe didn't know that, but I believe that with all my heart. And I'm telling you, it's not, just the, it's not just the celebratory moments of like a wedding. That Those are incredible, and that does signify a new beginning. But guess what? Sometimes when you struggle, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're in it. Sometimes when you're in the depths of a struggle, God is doing something new. So I tell people, uh, divorce care. We have divorce care at our church. It just started on Tuesday, and you can still get in. It's open every Tuesday, 7 o'clock, and uh, it's amazing. And I watch people come to that. And I think every one of those people, God is doing something new. They are starting on a journey of a new beginning through something they never would have wanted, something they never would have dreamed would happen to them. And God says, I have something new for you. And God has something new for us today. Say faith. I told you that's the subject we're talking about. If you brought a Bible or a mobile device with a Bible app, go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible. Okay, the sixth book of the Bible. So it's in the Old Testament, and I'll set it up for you. The Israelites are, at this point, they're God's chosen people that he has used Moses to lead out of slavery. They were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They're, they've now been led out by Moses. 
They're, they're, and, and they're now to enter the promised land. But they, ne- they haven't done that yet. They're in this wandering period, this kind of transition period. Some of you know what transition periods are all about. You're, you're in that. And, and God wants to do something to take you to your promised land. I wonder, I, wonder, I won't get to it yet. Let, let's, let's just say this. Moses brought them to this point, but Moses has died. Moses is gone. Mo- and they never entered the promised land with Moses. So Moses has di- died, and God has raised up a leader, a protege of Moses named Joshua, hence the name of the book. And in Joshua 1, 3, listen to this. God is speaking. I promise you what I promised Moses, Joshua. Same thing. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. That, wow, what a promise. Wherever you, wherever you step, that is the land I've given you. And I think about what land, what what promise has God promised to you and you're not stepping into that? What, what's, what has God promised in your life and it just waits every day and it waits and you're waiting on God, but God is waiting on you. And God says, well, it's, it's there for you. It's in my promises. I've given it to you. All you need to do is step into it. This is all they needed to do. And, and, and so, so, so God gives Joshua this promise, basically saying, Joshua, Israelites, there's the promised land. It's yours. Take it. So let's pick it up in uh, verse 6. God, jo- God continues with Joshua. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Num- verse 7, it's almost like God's got a stuttering problem, but he doesn't. He says it again. Be strong and courageous. God, you just said that. Be strong and very courageous, he said. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Don't deviate from them. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Stay on track. Keep, keep before you what you need to be before you, and you'll be successful in everything you do. And in verse 8, I love this because one of our core values is God's word, which you're getting read right now. It's always been important. It's always been foundational. And sometimes I think we don't know the promises of God because we're not reading the word of God. I mean, how, how can you know what God has promised you if you're not in the word of God? And, and I'll tell you, I'm not judging you. I went to church all my life and never cracked it until I got to a certain point where the, my, my pastor said, hey, you should probably read that to know what you believe. And I said, all right, I'll do that. And I did. But I just grew up in a church where just, it wasn't on the radar for me. But uh, listen to what he says in verse 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be able to obey everything. Say everything. Everything written in it. Because I want to take something from you? No. God says, because I have life for you. I have promises for you. You need to know your promises so you know what, what you need to step into. Meditate on it day and night. Only then will you prosper and succeed. I'm telling you, 10 minutes a day in God's word will change your life. 10 minutes a day for the rest of your days will change your days. That isn't even the main point of this. I just feel, I just, you need to know that. And maybe some of you aren't reading it. Like I didn't read it most of my life. I'm telling you, start in the, start in the New Testament. Start in the book of Matthew. There's no better way to get to know Jesus than reading the story of Jesus' life. We have Bibles here. I want to give them to you for free. If you need one, tell guest services. We'll give them to you. It's the greatest investment we could ever give you. So, okay, back to verse 9. So God has told Joshua, be strong and courageous twice. Say three. You're right, it's coming. For the third time, God says to Joshua, this is my command. It's like he's almost begging Joshua now. I am begging you. I am commanding you. 
Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, Joshua. Don't be discouraged, for I'm with you. The Lord God is with you wherever you go. And my question is this. If God said, you know what, it's yours, all you got to do is step into it, why all this talk about being strong and courageous? I mean, God, you've promised it to me. It's there. You said just take a step. And you'll give it to me. So why are you building me up and telling me about how i got to be strong and courageous? And I totally believe it's because even though God has given him the promise, it, 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 Joshua still needed to step into that plan. And that takes courage. And that takes strength. See, we, we tend to think that if it's God's will, it's going to be easy. That's like the opposite of what you should think. Okay? If it's in God's will, it won't be easy. It's truth. It's a promise. It will happen. It just won't be easy. You need to plan. You need to prepare, which is what I believe Joshua said what he said next. Look at, look at uh, verse 10 in chapter 1. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go to all the camp, all two million people. Tell them to get their stuff ready. Get your provisions ready. In three days, say three. In three days. We're going. We're stepping into the promise. We're going into the promised land. We're crossing the Jordan River. We're taking possession of the land that God has promised to give us and is giving you. That's amazing. So they're still waiting three days because they got to prepare. They got to plan. God's going to show you the way. He's going to help you figure it out, but it's going to take your courage. It's going to take some strength. And, 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 and please stop thinking it's going to be easy. I, I, I think it, it, when you're in God's will, it probably it won't be easy and it won't probably make sense, honestly. That's when you know you're in God's will, okay? But he will be with you. He will be for you. Was the promise fulfilled yet? No. God's made the promise, but Joshua hasn't stepped into the promised land yet. The promise isn't fulfilled until you take the step. See, God's promises are always real. They're always true, but, but I think very few are ever come to fruition. Very few are ever realized because we're waiting. Because we're waiting for God to do something else. And God's like, I'm, I'm here. I'm waiting. I'm with you. I'm for you. I have your hand. Let's do this. And we wait. And we wait. And this brings us to the main point. And, and if, you know, if you don't get anything else out of today, please own this. God cannot, I know that's hard to hear, but God cannot reveal his faithfulness until you take a step of faith. Okay? This is a true statement. This is a fact. God cannot reveal his faithfulness until you take a step of faith. And he will show you what it is. Some of you, you're, you're already knowing what God is telling you to do. We're just getting started. God cannot reveal his faithfulness until we take a step of faith. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, we're in chapter 2 now. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies... I truly believe that it was pro he probably sent out three right away, but then one got scared and ran home. I say that because we're in a series called The Power of Three, and they're kind of screwing up my algorithm. But anyway, so it, but it's two, so we'll go with two. Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp. Again, Joshua's preparing. Joshua's planning. Just because it's been promised doesn't mean you shouldn't put some work into it. And Joshua, Joshua instructed them, go scout out the land, cross the Jordan, scout it out, see what it looks like. How, how big are the enemies? You know, are, can we take them? Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River. Especially around Jericho. That's the first city we're going to take. So the two men set out. And this is, this is men, right? The two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they spent the night there. It's like, all right, you guys had one job. Anyway, so I, I, but think, I'm like, what? I read that. I'm like, okay, what? 
And I'm sure they're like, well, you know, we're on this mission for God, and you got to go where the lost people are, right? I mean, that's what I would say to people. When I first got saved 11 years ago, um, dude, it was interesting. I had one foot in and one foot out, and it was, it was just, I don't know how to put it. I was serving in the church. I was attending church. I loved Jesus, but I was still going to the bars and drinking and doing some crazy stuff, okay? Can, is it okay if we're real this morning? Just want to be real with you. I'll tell you, tell you the truth. Um, so I, I would, I would, go, I would party Saturday night. I'd go to church. I'd serve in the kids' ministry. I was serving in the kids' ministry, loving kids. Well, one day I was struggling, and the guy next to me, he knew I was hurting. I was just pretty lethargic and tired, and he's like, dude, are you, are you still going to the bars drinking? I said, and I, here's my answer. I said, well, that's where the lost people are, and he's like, oh. he's like, are you, t- are you even talking about Jesus? I'm like, I really don't remember what I talked about, to be honest with you. I mean, we talked about freedom. We talked about the Statue of Liberty. And actually, we weren't talking about the Statue of Liberty. I was doing Statue of Liberties. It's a shot. It's not, don't do that at home either. You put your finger in this 100 proof and you light it on fire and then you, anyway. So don't, don't do what your pastor's done. That was, again, I'm a work in progress. So actually, it really hurts when it drips down between your, your fingers. Oh, it doesn't hurt that night, but the next day is when it's really painful. So anyway, off track. Um. What was I saying? Oh, okay. So, so, yeah. Focus. Somebody's got to snap like that when I'm out of control like that. Okay, thank you. So, here's the deal. We think, why are these guys going to this prostitute's house? The reality is, let me tell you, God is leading them there. See, God is working. God isn't just working in the, in the lives of the Israelites and Joshua. God's working in the life of, of Rahab, this prostitute. So, so, God led them to Rahab. God led me to Rahab. Twice, right? It's a little different. But, you know, uh, Rahab, so God is leading them there. But I think that we think of the Old Testament, we think it's the Israelites and it's their story and their plight and the promised land. And that's true. But there's more people alive than just the Israelites. And God's covenant was with the Israelites, but God's love was for all people. Does that make sense? So could God do something in someone else's life besides the Israelites? Yes, he could. If they're open to the grace of God, he can do anything in anybody's life. Anybody's. This is the incredible grace of God. But pastor, you're saying that God is really going to work in the life of a, of, a, of a hooker. Of this woman who's lived this life, a sinner like that. A heathen like that. You're telling me she's part of God's plan? I would tell you she's not only part of the plan, she's the center of it. And I love that. She's the center of God's plan. The story that I'm giving you today, it isn't. It is the Israelites aren't the center fig- figure. Joshua's not, Rahab is. Rahab, this woman, this sinner, this woman who, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, even if you're not, I bet you know this. Three strikes and you're, yeah. Rahab, three strikes. I guarantee you she had three strikes. Number one, a pagan. That means she's worshiping other gods. She's idolizing other gods, not the one true God. So she's a pagan person. She's a prostitute. We've covered that. You know, she's also a a woman, which in this day is not a good thing. Okay? You're, You're lesser. So she is low rung on the totem pole. So to think that God would would go to her, send these two men to her. For, the, for the, one of the biggest events that would happen in the Old Testament? You're kidding me. No. That's why I love the story so much. It's why I love the story of Rahab so much. Scandalous grace uh, and love of God. That God was moving in Rahab and her family. Say new beginning. God had a new beginning for the Israelites. He had a new beginning for Joshua. But make no mistake. He had a new beginning for Rahab. The center of the story. 
I love it so much. So let me summarize the next few verses, and then we'll go to verse 8. Here's what happened. The spies stayed with Rahab, and she hid them there. And, and, and Jericho, the, the guys in Jericho, the officers, got wind that some spies were there. Well, they wanted to kill them. So they spent, sent people to Rahab's house, and she was hiding them, and she hid them there and didn't say anything. And this is crazy, because if they find what she's hiding, she's dead. She is dead. But you know what? The truth is with Rahab inside, she was already dead before it happened. And God was showing her life. And when you get shown the life and the love and the grace and the mercy and the faith of God, it will change you. And she's, she's going towards life now, so she's going to take a risk. And she's risking a lot. She's risking so much for a God that she barely knows. Think about That's what's crazy. My gosh, I sat in church all my life claiming to know Jesus. And I believed in Jesus. I wasn't risking anything. This woman has known God for what? A couple days? And she's got her life on the line. And I think, what, are we, what am I doing in my life? Where have I put all my chips in and said, God, unless you show up, I'm screwed. That's faith. Faith is when you throw the chips in and God, you better show up. I'm in trouble if you don't. She, Rahab did it. She put her chips in. She hid the spies. And in Joshua 2, 8 and 9, listen. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went on the roof to talk with them. I don't know why they're sleeping on the roof. I don't get it. I don't know how to, that's a whole other topic. Don't know. So I know the Lord has given you this land. Listen to that, that faith in that statement. I know the Lord has given you this land from Rahab. She told them. And then she said, then she's authentic. We're all afraid, Joshua. Everyone in the land, they're terrified. Like she's saying, I got some fear, but they're, they're, they're terrified. See, when you're in terror, you're, you're in trouble. When you're in bondage to fear, there is no victory in that. I think that statement, I think the spies would have known, you know what? We got them. When they're terrified, it's over. It's over before it ever started because they're terrified. If you're in bondage to fear, you cannot live in victory. It is impossible. And I, I share with you, as some of you know this, I grew up wrestling. So I wrestled in grade school and all through high school. Um, not because I was good, just because, you know, in a small town, you go out for whatever you go out for, you're going to start. It was great. I could start. You know, it was awesome. And uh, so I, uh, I think I weighed 105 pounds when I was a sophomore. So that's, a, that's yeah, anyway, <laughs> quite, the, quite the Hercules. And uh, so we were at a wrestling meet one time, and the 98-pounder the was out wrestling. And so I was next. So when you get, you're getting ready to wrestle, your opponent's across the mat, and he's getting ready, and you know, they're taking their sweats off. And well, I'm looking at my opponent, and he didn't have his sweats off yet, and I was already intimidated because the dude had a full beard. And I'm like, okay, he's like 37 years old. This already isn't fair. So I mean, a full beard. I mean, I'm like a, I'm like a sophomore, I, whatever. So, um, and then he takes off his sweats, and he has more hair on his back than I have on my entire body. I'm like, come on. I'm like, I, and I still wasn't like completely in terror yet. I had some fear going on, but I thought, you know what? Maybe I can pull it back here and somehow cheat because I will cheat to win. So um, I'm watching him and I'm looking and my teammates next to me because you're supposed to kind of get each other kind of ready to go before your match. Well, I look at, and I'm still, again, not completely freaked out until this next thing happened. And he, I saw him and a teammate get together and he gets, the, the, my opponent gets down like this. And he's like, come on. And the guy walks up, 
bam, and smacks him alongside the head. And I was like, what the, what is wrong with them? And all of a sudden he's like, come on, boom. And at that point I'm like, gosh, I hope you knock him clean out. Then I don't have to wrestle him. You know, it'd be awesome. I'm like, he is just smacking him. And my, my guy's supposed to psych me up. My guy leans in, he's like, dude, you're wrestling a psychopath. I'm like, you're not helping, okay? That is not helping. And it was done. I, I, I don't have to tell you how it ended. It didn't end well. But my point is, if, if you're in bondage, if you're to an area of your life, you're not in victory right now. Victory is yours if you want it. But you have to, you have to, see, and being afraid isn't a bad thing. Just don't live there. Just don't let it overwhelm you. See, sometimes we think that God's plan's got to be like, I should be 100% sure. It should be no, no fear, no doubt. No, I don't think that's the case because then it doesn't require faith. Okay? That's a guarantee. That's not faith. And if you have doubts, that's not a bad thing. Doubt and fear is not the same thing. Okay? Doubt is like one foot up, poised, like this. This is doubt. It's not a bad thing. It's okay to doubt things. Fear is when you do this and you step. That's a step. Now, you've made action now. You've taken a step. That is fear. Okay? This, this is what the Israelites did 40 years earlier. They stepped back. But when you're in doubt like this, again, doubt's not bad. Some of you in your business or in your family or in an endeavor, you have some doubt. It's okay. Don't stay there. That's not good. Okay? Do make a decision. And my prayer for you today is that you're going to do this. You're going to step forward in faith. That you will step forward in faith, which activates God's power. It's so critical that you get that. Everybody's like, I'll, do, I'll, I'll get in when there's no doubt. You'll, you'll never get in. Step through that doubt. Step through that fear. And if you're in bondage, if you're, you're not in victory. But I just, so, it'll, when we planted the church meadows, trust me, I knew God's hand was on it before I ever moved to Omaha, or any of us did. Now I look at, now I look at where we're at as a church, um, 18-month anniversary, 250-plus people, what God is doing in our church. And, and I wanted that guarantee. I didn't have it. I had tons of doubt. Oh my God, I'm convinced I'm going to show up to preach the first weekend. It's going to be me and Casey staring at each other. Hey, how you doing? Ha, ah, yeah, God's good. Um, so thank God it wasn't that. That'd be really weird. So, but I'm just saying, there was doubt. Don't stay there. Take that step. Rahab was afraid, but at the end of the day, her faith was bigger than her fear. When your faith is bigger than your fear, you are an overcomer. You step into victory. I love it. She had doubts. It's okay. Don't stay there. I want to take you to Joshua 2, verses 12 through 16 now. This is a conversation that Rahab is having before the spies leave. Rahab says, swear to me. Again, she's a little bit worried. She's saying, I need something from you. I mean, I believe in God. I believe what he's doing in my life, but I still got doubts. I still don't have it all figured out. Okay, that's not a bad place to be. Swear to me by the Lord that you're going to be kind to me and my family. Since we've helped you, we hid you. Give me a guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live, along with my mom and my dad, my brothers, my sisters, my family. The spies say, we offer you our own life as a guarantee for your safety. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. In, Rahab, in, in verse 15 it says, then since Rahab's house was built into a city wall, she let them out of the window by a rope, and she says this, escape to the hill country, she told them, hide there for how many days? Three days. I wonder how Rahab knew to tell them to hide for three days. Do you think that she's just guessing? 
Do you think she knew that Meadows was going to preach a series called The Power of Three so it would work really well? I mean, what is her deal? How does she know this? How does, uh, God is working in Rahab more than, we, more than we can imagine. Gosh, if anybody is in here and you think that you're too down, you're too low, you, 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 you've gone so sideways that God can never use you or God can never work in you, this is why you're here that God loves you so much and that God is elevating you to a place of victory and a place of new beginnings. This is so incredible. I love this story. So Rahab, so they, they go. And it says, when they have returned, you can go on your way. So when the, when the bad guys come back after three days, you go on your way. You'll be good. That's Joshua 12 through 16. It's interesting as I read that, um, God brought me right back to Joshua 12. I don't know if you caught it. I'm gonna give it to you again. And there's a word that Rahab uses. Give me some guarantee, she's got some doubt, that when, say when, when Jericho is conquered, notice she didn't say if. Give me some guarantees that if you guys get into Jericho, if you guys conquer that land, she didn't say if. She said when. So, so this woman is exhibiting faith like, it's amazing. She's still got doubts. She still needs some guarantees. She's still scared. But she's got this overcoming faith. That says, when you take the land, it ain't a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I wonder how many times we're just focused on the if in our life. Gosh, if my kids ever get their crap together, if I ever, if I ever get back to school, if I ever get that opportunity, if I ever had the chance, if, 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 I want to lovingly say, when you walk in the will of God, it's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. Because faithful is he who calls you. He will make it happen. He will. Oh, he's a faithful God. But we got to step in to activate the faithfulness, don't we? You're faithful, God. You never let us down. Sometimes we let you down because of fear. But no more. Not after today, God. You're doing a new thing. There's a new beginning. And I'll tell you that in the next chapter, chapter 3 of Joshua, you should read it this week. It is, it is 440 years after slavery. These Israelites finally step into the promised land. I could preach a whole message on how they got through it. On how, on how the, the priests had the Ark of the Covenant and they stepped in the Jordan River and, and God would stop up the water like a wall, just like the Red Sea parted. The Jordan River did the same thing. Why? Because of their faith. It activated it. It says the priest stepped in and the water was gushing like this. They had to step in first, notice. And then all of a sudden the water started to wall up and it allowed dry, grant, dry, dry ground for two million people to pass. This is, the, this is the work of God. God is not... We're waiting on God, but God is waiting on us. So the promise is, it comes, to, comes alive. These Israelites, they, they, they go into the promised land, and they wipe it out. It, it, it's, 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 and Rahab is saved. Her family is saved. So it's all good. My question is this, though. That promise to Joshua about taking the land and taking a step, Joshua said in the first verse we read together in Joshua 1, that's the same promise he gave Moses. So God doesn't change. So Moses, 40 years earlier, had the same promise. Moses, take that step. The land is already yours. Was the promise ever realized or come to fruition for Moses? No. Was the promise the same? Yes. What was the difference? Their faith. The people. Joshua. Rahab. The Israelites. That was the difference. God doesn't change. His promises are true. Moses and the Israelites didn't enter the promised land because they lacked faith. You want to know what's really crazy? 40 years earlier, they would send spies in to, to spy out the land. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's what they just did with those two spies that met Rahab. 40 years earlier, they sent they 12 in, not two, 12. 10 come back and say, mm, 
No. It's the, those guys are big. They're powerful. They got fortified walls. It ain't going to happen. Only two of the 12 spies came back and said, you know what? I got doubts. I don't know if we should do it. But I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking God's got our back. I'm thinking he's with us. That's what he said anyway. I'm just going to trust the word of God for once. And two people, guess who they were? Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua. Guess who the only two Israelites, out of all the Israelites, remember when they came out of slavery with Moses? If you've never heard the story, that's what happened. The only two original Israelites that ever entered into the promised land that day were Caleb and Joshua. The only two. Every other Israelite had died. died. So think about this for a second. Why, why would God allow these two men to enter into the promise? The only two. That's crazy. Of all the, the million plus two men. Not, not even Moses. Joshua and Caleb. And I think back, weren't they the two spies that said, let's do it? Weren't they the two spies that said, you know what? Let's act on faith and not fear. And God looked at him 40 years earlier and said, you know what? I know you ain't feeling it now. I know you ain't seeing it now. I'm going to bless you. I'm watching you. I see your faith. I know you don't know that I see your faith, but I see your steps, and I will bless the heck out of it. And that's what God is doing. And that's what God did for them. And they would enter into the promised land. Along with the other Israelites, the new generation of Israelites would enter in. God's promise doesn't change. God's promise doesn't change. Sometimes we'll say, God, I don't feel you. I used to have a close relationship with God. I used to have a connection to God. I used to be feeling it with God, but I ain't feeling it. And I would tell you lovingly, guess what? If you're not feeling close to God, God's not the one who's moved, okay? He hasn't, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's right where he's always been. You know, and then we think about our feelings. Oh, I'm just not feeling it. Don't trust your feelings, okay? Feelings, don't, don't base your faith on your feelings, okay? Instead, base it on God's faithfulness. That will never let you down. Base it on his truth. Base it on his word. Base it on his track record. Don't base it on your feelings. Feelings come and feelings go. I've been guilty of it myself. Gosh. So Rahab, so we get to the closing of the story. Base it on God's faithfulness. But yet God can't reveal it until we take a step. That's the main point. God can't reveal it until we take a step. What step is God asking you to take? That's what I'm asking you. The last thing I want to do is, because I've been guilty of this, you guys. I talk about growing up in the church. I went to church all my life, checked it off the list, killed an hour, and if it went over an hour, I was ticked off. And I was like, you know what? I got stuff to do. I got places to go. I got places to be. And I'm like, come on. And I wouldn't do a thing. I don't blame the church. The church was preaching God's word. I blame me. I did nothing different. I don't want it for us anymore. I don't want that for you anymore. Most people will not live their God-given purpose. That's our mission, that you would live out your purpose. God is wanting that for you. God has destined you for your purpose. Believe that, own that. He's not holding out on you. He is asking what step will you take towards him. For some of us, I'll, I'll, I'll just be very, I'll give you one step that I know God wants us to take, and that is this. There are many people like Rahab in our community. I, I, me being one of them for most of my life, I'll tell you, these are people that don't, they feel worthless. They feel less than. They don't feel like they're welcome or wanted. They don't feel like they have a purpose or, or they feel like they're struggling to, just to get through the next day. And God has so much more for them. And if that's how you feel, God has so much more for you. And that's exactly why we do an event like the Easter egg hunt. It's not about the eggs. It's not about the candy. It's not about the prizes. It's about the people. These are people that matter to God. Rahab mattered to God. That's why he sent the two there. He loved her. 
And trust me, God was working in the hearts of other people in Jericho, but Rahab was the only one that would listen. And God honored it. That's what he did. So God works in the life of Rahab through these spies. And I think God wants to work in our lives, in our community, in Bellevue, in Papillion, in Omaha, and beyond, Plattsmouth, Glenwood, all over our community. People are hurting. And some of them aren't receptive to church. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe what, I don't know. But they are receptive to something fun. They are receptive to a joyous occasion where their kids can have a lot of fun. And that would be this. That would be this. I, I, I'm, and I, but I know, I know something. It isn't even easy to invite people to some, sometimes it's not to invite people to this. It's like, it takes courage. Be strong and courageous. It takes courage. I pray, I pray that we, that you, that me, that we will invite this week to this event. It isn't about the eggs, it's about the people. People that desperately matter to God. And if, even if they never come to Meadows Church, I don't even care. I just want them to feel the love of the Father that day for three hours, that, would, that we would pour a blessing out so great on them that their kids would have the time of their life and they go, my gosh, this is incredible because of the people. So I'm, I'm, one step I'm really believing God wants us to take is, is go all out with this and invite like crazy this week to this. It's our biggest outreach of the year. This is it. Easter is a bigger outreach than Christmas, than anything else for, for us to reach people that are receptive to anything with church. And this is why we exist, to lead people to Jesus and their God-given purpose. That's what this is all about. That's what it's all about. People that matter to God. You matter to God. If you don't, gosh, you matter to God. What's amazing, with Rahab's story, you'd think it's done, right? She's, she's been saved. She lives with the Israelites now. They're, they're worshiping the one true God, and it's all good, and her family's good too. God was just getting started. Just like Caleb and Joshua, 40 years earlier, God was just getting started. God's like, you guys wait. 40 years from now, you're going to be leading the men. You're going to be leading the charge. You're going to enter into the promised land. And Rahab, God had more for her that she, that she knew. Rahab, well, Rahab had a son named Boaz. We talked about Boaz a few months ago in the church found out he had some cousins. I won't get into that because it'll, it'll get us side, sideways, but <laughs> Boaz was Rahab's son. He had a son who had a son who had a son named King David. King of Israel, second king of Israel. One of the greatest kings, flawed, messed up, just like Rahab. But I love how God is in the business of taking messed up people and turning them into miracles. He does it every day. Do you want that? He wants it for you. You've been rejected. God selects who man rejects. I love that. Boaz would be the great granddad to David. David, from his lineage, would come another king. A king who was different than David or different than any other king. This king was, wasn't the king of Israel so much or the king of the world, but the king of all. He would be described as the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. What? You, wait, you're telling me that Jesus Christ came from the line of a prostitute? Mm -hmm. I love the story of Jesus. I love it. I love it so much. I don't know what life you've lived. I don't know the things you've done. If I told you all my stories of Statue of Liberties, you probably would leave the church. I just know that God takes dead things and brings them back to life. That I do know. And I'm here to tell somebody in this place that if there's something dead inside of you 
or your family, God wants to resurrect it today. Rahab was dead on the inside. Make no mistake about it. And when God showed up, he resurrected a woman who, who didn't deserve it. Just like I didn't deserve it and just like you don't deserve it, but God, that's what makes God so great. It's not based on our goodness, it's based on his goodness. It's the beauty of God, it's the beauty of grace. But it does require faith on our part. So Hebrews is Hebrews 11 gives the, the story of the, the uh, what's it called? The hall of faith. And icons like, like Moses and Noah and David are in there. These biblical heroes. List two women. Sarah, the, 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 the wife of Abraham, the, the founder of the Hebrew race, an amazing man of God. Sarah and Rahab. A woman who sold herself for money. A woman who worshiped pagan gods. What? Wouldn't he pick Mother Mary? I mean, she wouldn't she? Rahab. This is God. This is the grace of God. Her and Sarah had nothing in common. They weren't hanging out with the same people in high school. Trust me. They weren't dating the same guys in high school. They weren't. They were different. But yet in God, because of their faith, they were the same. And God says, all you need is faith and you can move a mountain. All you need is faith, and I can take you from, from if to when. All you need is, is faith, and I can start a new beginning. All you need is faith, and I can save you from yourself, save you from your sins, save you from your past, and make you new. All you need is faith, and that's what Rahab had, and that's what makes her so amazing, and that's why I love her story so much. She didn't let her circumstances define her potential. She could have looked around and said, my God, look at the way that I'm living. Look at what I'm doing. Look at who I'm with. Look, I've done this over and over. I'm s and she looks in the mirror and she's disgusted from what she sees. But that doesn't stop her. And I don't want it to stop you either from what you're struggling with in your life. Don't let, don't let what you see stop you from believing what God has said. Don't let that happen. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your past. What he sees is your purpose. What he sees is his plans. What he sees is a new beginning. He looks at you and said, I make all things new, which means I can make you new too. And that's good news. I want that, God. His plans are better. He's a good God. So Jesus Christ would be born out of the lineage of this prostitute named Rahab. And Jesus Christ would save the world. Well, let, me put, let me rephrase it. Jesus Christ wants to save the world, okay? He hasn't saved the world. The world needs to respond by faith. That's the difference, you understand? See, our problem is we think our default destination a lot of times, oh, God, for God so loved the world, and he does. But it does say we are saved by our faith through his grace when we believe. And so many people, I think, and this, I'm so passionate about this, you guys, because it was me. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's God's son. But there was nothing in my life that reflected it. There was no, there was no turning from anything. I wasn't stepping out in faith. I was just talking it. Jesus, but, but faith isn't just a state of mind. It's a course of action. You're saying you got to earn your salvation. No, no, no. I'm saying when you're saved, you'll know it. And if your salvation hasn't changed you, then your salvation has not saved you because you will change. It will take time, but you will know it. And maybe some of you don't know, and you're like, I don't know. I, I'm kind of debating. I'm kind of like the Israelites were like this, and God is calling you to do this. In your faith, there's no bigger thing that you can take a step with, is by surrendering your life to Christ. Believing this man came from this, this heathen of a woman, and from that lineage, he'd be born. 
but not, not, not like any other human, but a God. A God that came for you and I. We don't, we're Rahab. We don't deserve it. And God says, I love you, I love you, I love you. I sent my son Jesus to die for you. And then he rose three days later, defeating sin, defeating death. But then so many of us walk around still in defeat. And he says, please believe by faith that when you trust me and trust my promises and you take a step towards me, I will change your life. But you got to do it. God says, I'm right here waiting. I'm right here. But I can't, I can't go any, you've got, I can't force it. I won't force it. I'm not that kind of a domineering God. I'm not a dictator. I'm a lover. And I want to love you. And I want you to come home. And I believe for somebody in this place, more than one, that God is calling you to step out in faith and say, I want that faith. I want that spirit of the living power of God in me. I want something new. I want a new beginning. I want a new beginning. Do you want that? If, you're, if, you're, if the depths of your heart is saying yes, that's what the connection cards are for. Fill it out. Turn it in. Let us pray for you. I'm committing my life. I'm recommitting my life. Whatever you want to call it, saying I'm calling on the name of the Lord and I need his power in me. I want to be saved. I want to be, I want to step out in faith. I want to trust God's promises. And when you do that, something will change, especially with your faith. Soon you're going to realize that your faith no longer rests on what God will do for you, but it rests on what Jesus Christ has already done for you. He's done it. He loves you. New beginning is waiting. Do you want it? I want it. I want a new beginning. I've shared before that I probably should have been, I probably should have been to Omaha two years earlier, honestly. God was calling me out long before I came. Disobedient, scared, frightened, fearful, selfish, comfortable, all those things would describe me. I'm here now, and I'm all in, and I still fumble, I still struggle, and I still have fear and I still have doubt. And I'm guessing if I feel that way, maybe you do too. I'm here to tell you something. Walking with Christ and taking your next step towards your faith journey and whatever that is, in your business, in your home, with your kids, in your marriage, in your singleness, whatever it is, it won't be easy. That's why we do life together. That's why we partner together. That's why we pray to the King because he makes all things new and he has the power we don't. We just have to step by faith into his power. Activate that faithfulness and watch what he does. I hope that makes sense. And I hope, by, I hope you know how much he loves you. He loves you so much, but he loves everybody. But the Bible says most people, they just can't, I don't know. I get it. I was there most of my life. I'm grateful I'm not anymore. I just believe God's calling you home with all my heart. He loves you so much. He's not mad at you. He's calling you home. He doesn't judge you. He loves you. If he could judge anybody, it would be Rahab. And all he did was save her and her family and use her to bring his son into the world. I love her story. Her story is my story. Maybe it's yours. I just know God that he can take, he can take something so miserable and turn it into something so beautiful. And he wants to do that in you today. So we're going to continue to worship here. I want to pray for you. I love you so much, and God loves you more than I do. My prayer for you is that you'll take whatever step he's asking you to take. I can't tell you specifically what that is. I can just present the word of God and the gospel, and he'll do his work. 
And my prayer is that you'll do yours. And if you do, I promise you'll never be the same. Father, thank you so much for your truth, for your word, the power of three. It is powerful, God. I love it because three kind of represents community too. Lord, I'm going to say it. We need you and we need each other. By ourselves, we are in a world of hurt. But with you and with others seeking you, that, that can encourage us, God. That can strengthen us. Remember, we need courage, I guess. We need strength, you said, because we can't do it by ourselves. But according to your promise and according to your word, with you all things are possible. God, draw your people in today. This is an experience, a journey that you planned thousands, millions of years ago for this moment, for our lives. Use your Holy Spirit, God. Do what only you can do. I pray for our Easter outreach next week. I pray for everybody in this place, God, their, their family, their struggles, their pain, their hurt. And I pray that, God, for those that need to surrender it all to you, God, that they will do it. They'll mark it, they'll select it, they'll let us pray with them, and their world will never be the same. And we will celebrate it because you are the King, you are the Lord, and your Son is the most high, the most honored, the most beautiful God. And we are just blessed to call you our dad. And thank you for loving us so much because we don't deserve it, but yet you say you'll do it anyway because of who you are. We love you, Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen.